Good evening. Uh, let's get this show on the road. Welcome to this episode of All Crossed Out on Colin. It's Wednesday night again, it's 9 p.m., and we're all crossed out. <laughs> hey, Jen. As usual. Yes, how's it going, Jen? Good, how you doing, Noah? All right, you know, it's uh, yet another crippling week of bad takes and uh, <laughs> loss of faith in humanity. Uh, but uh, maybe with, uh, I don't know, I think, are, are we are we going to be potentially talking about something that could be good? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I think, that, but... I think that's going to be the theme of tonight, right? Is this a good thing? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, as the, uh, as the name of the episode implies, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the interesting uh, Twitter-related news from... Uh, one Elon Musk, who uh, um, is, I don't know, uh, has become suddenly become a player in Twitter. Apparently, it wasn't so suddenly. It, uh, publicly, in terms of like what what we the public know, uh, it was pretty sudden. But uh, it turns out that um, he's been uh, he's been uh, planning this or working towards it for a little while now, and that a lot of his uh, talk about it on social media recently was probably, you know, just like a, a kind of a cheeky manifestation of something that he's actually been working on for a little bit longer. Yeah. And obviously you guys can tell from the title of this episode, you know what this is about. But I will go ahead and start with the sort of nerdier part of this story. And that is kind of the actual acquisition of stock by Elon Musk into Twitter. So... What ended up happening is, for those of you who don't know, um, the end of the fiscal quarter one, 2022, in the United States is March 31st. So on March 14th, I believe it was, Twitter filed their regulatory. There, there's there's a whole bunch of like nerdy stuff. I'm going to try not to go into the weeds about this, but when you are a company and you have shareholders, you have to file disclosures every quarter about who your stockholders are, who your shareholders are, how much they own, all that good stuff. And it's part of the whole SEC regulation thing. And that's the Security and Exchange Commission, not the Southeastern Conference, because I always have to remind myself. <laughs> so anyway, so this gets released because these are the, the whole point of creating these documents is for public consumption so that the public can know who exactly owns what in what company. Anywho. So we find out that Elon Musk now owns 9.2% of Twitter stock, which makes him the single largest individual shareholder. But obviously, he's not a majority shareholder at 9.2%. So we find this out. When Twitter made their initial FCC filing, he was listed as a passive investor. Sometime between... March 14th and a few days ago, Elon Musk was named to the Twitter board of directors, which makes him obviously at that point not a passive investor. But here's the thing. The rumor slash theory slash I don't think like Twitter has ever or will ever confirm this is that the reason he was named a board member is because if you are a board member on Twitter's board of directors, you have a hard cap of how much stock you could own in Twitter. And that's that it's 15%. Basically, you cannot sit on the board and own more than 15% of Twitter's stock. So the going idea is that 
he was named to the board of directors basically to stop him from doing to Twitter what he did to Tesla, which, again, for those of you who don't know, again, not to go into the weeds here, but Elon Musk is not technically speaking a co-founder of Tesla. He basically bought his way into that position through what in the 80s would have been considered a hostile takeover. Basically, he bought enough stock in Tesla to grant himself the co-founder status and to basically become CEO. And so my theory is somebody on Twitter, or not on Twitter, but within Twitter. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, like, someone on Twitter, first name, bunch of numbers. (laughs) But somebody within Twitter finally figured out, because he started buying this stock back in January, and he's been buying bits of stock from January until the end of fiscal quarter one. Somebody finally figured out, oh, shit, he's trying to do to us what he did to Tesla and basically doing like a slow moving hostile takeover. Because, I mean, Elon Musk's net worth is three hundred and two billion dollars. He can buy Twitter and not even think twice about it. So somebody finally figured out like, oh, shit, wait a minute. And put him on the board after the filing to stop him from buying more stock. But again, this creates a whole situation where there's SEC complications. And the SEC already does not like Elon Musk anyway, because he has a notorious history of flouting reporting rules and by reporting by a certain date. And that also comes into play here because, again, SEC regulations say that if you buy more than 5% of a company's stock, You have to report that within 10 days. Musk did not do that. And so the SEC is mad about that. They're mad about, they're going to be mad about a whole bunch of stuff on this because they're already mad at him anyway because of his basic, you know, fuck you attitude toward the SEC in regards to Tesla stock because there's always been, I mean, not rumors, but like he's he's done this before with Tesla stock where he's not reported correctly. He's not reported on time. And there's always been the argument over market manipulation from, again, his tweets regarding Tesla. I mean, he's done numerous times where he's like tweeted something about Tesla and the stock spikes 25 percent. And then there starts to be that argument about, well, is he doing market manipulation or is he just being high as balls and tweeting from the toilet? Like. And and that's a really weird gray area that the SEC doesn't really know how to address, but they don't like him anyway. So there's a whole bunch of legal ramifications to this purchase of stock and him being named to the board of directors. Plus, on top of that, there's the whole cultural issue of now Elon Musk, somebody who has been very critical of Twitter, somebody who has been very open about his his feelings about how he feels about how Twitter handles content moderation is now a member of the board of directors. And honestly, just from a purely cultural perspective, I'm very happy that we finally have representation on the board of directors. We finally have a shitposting power user who admits to tweeting from the toilet, who trolls U.S. senators and sends Dogecoin to the moon on the Twitter board of directors. Finally, we have one of our own. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's an interesting. It's an in- it really is an interesting uh, moment, and he is a very uh, odd figure uh, in the landscape. Um, and I, but the I, I think the, uh, the 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 obvious the you know the the concern from the. The naysayers has a lot less to do with the financial regularity or irregularity mm-hmm. of this whole thing. Like you said, it's it's far more about the the cultural implications. He's uh, he's sort of known to have been on the side that opposed all kinds of moves that Twitter made in terms of content moderation and, and uh, in terms of what they uh, what they uh, they think uh, should or shouldn't go, and uh, he in general is part of this sort of wave of tech people who who think uh, who think like into the future of 
the cybersphere in a way that's uh, antithetical to someone like Zuckerberg, for example. There's these are two different sort of competing uh, philosophies on how te the tech and the digital sphere should operate in the future. Zuckerberg is a uh, a panopticon uh, centralist. I don't know how you want to call it. Uh, and uh, Musk is more on the side of people like uh, the Bitcoiners of the world and uh, and actually a surprising member of that group who you wouldn't expect, Jack Dorsey, who is a, a bit of a walking contradiction. I told this story after Jack Dorsey left Twitter. I felt that I was uh, that it was uh, it was OK for me to tell the story. But when Trump uh, got banned from Twitter, uh, Jack who was still the CEO at the time, went on a little bit of a Twitter thread about uh, how it's not, a, it's not great that tech companies, that three or four or five uh, people in tech can just kind of decide at once in a, in a de facto cartel move to freeze someone out of the digital sphere. And uh, when he said this, I said, you know, it's very surprising to hear Dorsey say this when his, you know, when his company doesn't do it. And I, in a, in a very surprising move, got a DM from him. He's been following me forever for whatever reason. I don't know why. He likes Yoko picks and stuff. But he, he didn't like he, my Yoko pick. No, no, no. He sent me a DM and said, uh, you, know, you know, I actually agree with you, but there's a big difference between what uh, I can do and what, like, I, what I'm, uh, you know, how I'm tied as the CEO of Twitter. Uh, and I do think that that philosophy became more and more um, sort of uh, dominant in his thoughts, which is probably part of the reason that he left. And I don't know if you saw this, but uh, a few days before the Musk uh, news broke, he uh, went on Twitter to essentially proffer a bit of an apology for the part that he played in creating this sort of real, this sort of bad reality. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, apropos of nothing, when when uh, when Jack uh, DM'd me this, uh, my response to him was, "I hope you'll use your platform to do good." Oh, and can I get verified, please? <laughs> and then I said something like, "I know this is kind of douchey, but like, when am I ever gonna get this chance again?" <laughs> Had to shoot my shot, which I, by the way, did with Musk too. Um, me, who I really, it, it'll be funny if. Uh, if uh, if I get contacted by most people, because I uh, I, sa I I savaged him on Twitter many a time in the past. I've, uh, I I I feel like so okay. So I feel like he's better now uh, in in certain ways than he used to be many years ago when he was sort of uh, when he received like wide adulation. Um, I, I still have problems with him, but my 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 Elon Musk philosophy basically comes down to this. When he says he's going to do something good and then he goes and he does it, that's good. It just doesn't always happen that way. You know, he promises a lot of things. Not They, they don't always materialize. And like you said, he's someone who is uh, a, very, uh, a very raw example of like a billionaire, you know, a, a person who legitimately – one of the only people in the world who acts like he has fuck you money. Because a lot of people have billions of billions of dollars and still do not act like they have fuck you money, right? Although Elon Musk is still like playing footsie with China and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, more so than almost anyone in his sort of tier of, uh, you know, like a financial dominance and stuff, he's not afraid to say obnoxious things. He's not afraid to do things that are uh, unpopular in his world, not necessarily unpopular in the world, but unpopular in his world, um, uh, which makes him a very interesting figure to insert into this whole uh, situation. Because you know, you know, there's there's this whole debate about uh, the digital sphere and how uh, uh, speech and content on it. Uh, will play a part or play a part now and will play an increasing part. And I do think that Trump's uh, ban, if you, want to, if you want to take something quote unquote positive away from, from Trump being banned from social media, it did highlight the problem 
of this situation when the president of the United States, he wasn't even out of office, if you remember, because there was this whole thing where like my, uh, my money was like January 21st, Trump gets banned everywhere. They didn't even wait that yeah. long. And so, and, and and by the way, I think that was a tactical error. I think that because that, again, highlighted the fact that three or four uh, tech companies can kind of look each other in the eye and go like, should we do this? Yeah, sure, whatever. Bang, right? And he's gone. And at the same time, there was this whole thing where, was it Gab? They got like, at, on the same day, got banned from GoDaddy and they got banned from this and all the PayPals. Everybody shut them out like at once. A very scary prospect. Well, the Gab thing was something that happened over the span of, gosh, Almost years at this point. I mean, because they were originally on AWS and then AWS kicked them off and then they had to get their own servers and they tried to go to Microsoft. And it's, that's been a whole thing. So I don't know if I'd really tie that in. It just happened all on the same I, day or something like that. It was, and again, you're right, but there also is a, there is an optics problem there because it hmm. did feel like this, um, everyone was kind of waiting for somebody to like throw the first stone and then everybody you know, jumped in the second somebody like took that first move. See, that's how I view that. I don't view it as like Trump getting kicked off social media altogether it was like some kind of cabal where everybody like got together, like, and, and everybody forgets, it wasn't Twitter that was the first one, it was Facebook. Facebook was the first one to kick Trump off. And then once that happened, Everybody else felt free to do it. And I mean, it, it, I mean, it was what one, it, it was the seventh, I believe, because it was, I don't even think it was 24 hours after the, the riot on one on January 6th. But I mean, it's, he would have been out of office on the 20th. So, but whatever. But I think that situation just kind of forced a lot of people's hands. But back to Elon, I, I just, I have a soft spot for People like Elon, who, like like you said, he, he fucks around a lot. But when he does something good, it's really good. And it's like there's a certain subversive streak in him that just appeals to the libertarian in me. I can't help it. I'm sorry. You are sending private ships into space. You sent Starlink Internet satellite internet to Ukraine to get them back online after Russia invaded. Like there's a part of me that just loves that about Elon. And I'm curious to see, cause I've been thinking a lot about kind of hard hostile takeovers versus soft hostile takeovers. And there's a way like obviously putting Elon on the board caps him at how much he can do a hard hostile takeover because it caps him as to how much stock he can actually buy. And that's how you traditionally do a hostile takeover is you just buy as much of a company as you can and then eventually you own it. But him being on the board and him having 80 million Twitter followers and him being somebody who is of a position of prominence, like there's there's a bit of a, a soft hostile takeover there because I mean you can't say that his opinion doesn't matter and not just as a board member but as somebody on Twitter but now he is a board member and so his voice does carry a certain amount of weight in that room now so what exactly does that mean going forward yeah and uh, he he's he's just though he's a he's a very weird animal because We've grown to expect people in his situation to act in a very sort of predictable way, for example, and to and to, you know, like to um, to devote their 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 uh, their wealth towards very uh, sort of samey things, philanthropy, but in a in again, in a very samey way. Oh, we're going to give billions of dollars to do this pro water reclamation project in Africa. We're going to do a th build schools in South America. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm trying to establish a pattern that he's breaking now. And, um, I, and again, with all of his flaws, I think that civilizationally speaking, it's kind of important to have a person like that around, you know, tech people are obsessed. If you watched, um, Hmm. Uh, the the Theranos documentary, or there's a couple of different documentaries that kind of 
show this same attitude. There's another one called The Bleeding Edge, which is about the approval of medical devices uh, by the FDA. Um, uh, tech startups and startup people are obsessed with uh, being disruptors, right? That's how every tech startup sells itself. We're going to be a disruptor to the medical industry. We're going to be a disruptor to this industry, meaning like it's all kind of locked up and we have this thing that's going to break it apart, right? Elon Musk is a legitimate disruptor, not in the sense that not like Tesla is a disruptor in the auto market. He himself will say like, I'm going to throw an absurd amount of money, an obscene amount of money to put people on Mars, for example. Now, whether or not it works or not, I mean, eventually we will put people on Mars. It's just a matter of how long it'll take. But the fact that there is someone who is willing to throw mountain, private sector person who's willing to throw mountains and mountains of money at this problem in the long run will be good. In the same way, by the way, that the predecessors to the Wright brothers who spent tons and tons of money because if you, uh, uh, David McCullough wrote a really great book about the Wright brothers. Uh, and, uh, to me, I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's one of the great American success stories of all time. And I'm, I'm shocked that there isn't a, a big movie because that book is, I, I was not aware of how exciting their life story was and how sort of thrilling the whole, uh, journey of theirs was, but they were legitimate disruptors. They were two working class American bicycle mechanics who came into this world that was full of like rich uh, adventurers who like had a staffers and they built these flying machines and they did these stunts and, you know, some of them semi worked and a lot of them died during, during their stunts and stuff. But those people were still important in bringing about powered flight, even though their efforts weren't necessarily successful because it was off of their work also that the Wright brothers kind of worked and they knew what not to do and all kinds of stuff like that. And so those people who threw tons of money into the frivolity of flight at the time actually did a good thing in the long run, in the sort of civilizational long run. And so even if Elon fails, the next person is going to be standing on his shoulders. And so it's good that a person exists like that. And of course, obviously, having somebody throw lots of private sector money at things just hits me in all of my fields. But people forget that like Elon got his come up through PayPal, which was disruptive in and of itself. And then he parlayed that into Tesla, which Tesla made electric cars cool and trendy to have. And so now he's also going into SpaceX, which is also making going to space cool and trendy for people who can afford it, which hopefully one day will be all of us because that's how this works. It's a trickle down thing. Like you have to have somebody willing to spend that initial amount of money to do proof of concepts and other people willing to spend money to basically invest in that proof of concept to thereby drive down the cost. I mean, this is the same way we worked with airlines. I mean, it used to be just for, very expensive, fancy people, and now everybody and their mom takes the fucking plane everywhere. Yeah, it's not just that. There's a there's this weird overlap between like anti capitalism and luddites, and sort of a luddite attitude of like, what do we mm -hmm. need space for? Let's feed the poor, you know. And uh, I I always think about I always think about uh, there's you know there's like a series of famous quotes about big inventions, you know something that is now ubiquitous and at the time one of my favorite ones was uh, was radio when radio was very new. I think there was like a, some kind of op-ed in like the Times of London or something like that about it and the the, the 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 quote that I remember for it is someone said something like, uh, who would be interested in a message sent to no one in particular? People were like, a phone <laughs> call, right? I call somebody, I tell them. Yeah. But who would be interested in listening to something that is said to no one specifically, right? <laughs> now, I mean, now that sounds like absurd, but it, if you think about it, if you kind of, if you actually kind of think deeply about that statement, it comes from... Uh, the fact that before radio existed, some people couldn't even think about a utility for radio. It's so hard for you to think now about uh, how somebody could think that a, a thing like that has no purpose. But a person who is 50 and grew up for 50 years in a world where that didn't exist thinks, what do I need this? The world works fine without it, right? 
Um, which is kind of how I think about the people who say, uh, who was that? Oh, it was Marianne Williamson who said something like, it's 22 years into the new millennium and what have we done to advance the species aside from phones and internet? And it's like, how dare you downplay phones and internet like that? We live in a magical age of information and connectivity and it's 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 a miracle. It's a, I know that we laugh about it because like, you know, it's we use it to look at porn on the toilet or whatever but like it's it is insane like the the civilizational jump that we made and the access to things that you have the interconnectivity i i i tried to um i tried to ballpark how many lives were saved because people everyone has phones it's immeasurable it's just think about all the people who's who like who would have died i don't know just because they didn't have a phone to call the cops or something like that or like you're like lost or you're on the side of the road and you had no way to contact anybody. But like this is why yeah. I, I perpetually remain a tech optimist and an Internet optimist, because, again, 41 years old, Neil here. Hi. <laughs> but I still do believe in that promise that, yes, this well, it did change the world and it can still change the world. And even though. We deal with so much bullshit on the internet and so much of it is just vile, gross garbage. Every now and again, even even little simple things like you see somebody post up a tweet like, oh, look, my dad opened up a donut store and, and he's, he's sitting here waiting for customers and it goes viral and then he sells out of the donuts. It's like shit like that is like there's still like goodness in the world and sometimes it, it would be hard to see if not for the internet. Yeah, we're going through a sort of a violent transition, a transitionary period. I think about it as like uh, if you uh, if you've ever watched uh, an American werewolf in London, uh, it has a very sort of famous a uh, practical effect scene where the guy turns into a werewolf, and it is uh, like a an extremely painful process because his face is getting elongated and his mm-hmm. and it, his his bones are kind of cracking and breaking as his body body changes shape and that's kind of how I think about a change like this. Think about the industrial revolution for a second. It did wonders for humanity, but it had to go through this transitional period of stuff like child labor. Uh, horrible lack of safety conditions mm-hmm. and deaths, boiler explosions, exploitative factory towns where people essentially became, you know, slaves to their and would get paid. I don't know if uh, the, the people who listen now know, but what, what essentially would happen was uh, a factory, uh, like a company would build a factory and build a town around it. And everybody who lived in the town would work in a factory and they wouldn't get paid money. They would be paid like Disney bucks, essentially, that you could only spend at the factory store, right, to mm. buy your things. And so it was like, uh, it's like, uh, is that, does that count as serfdom? I guess it's sort of like, uh, you know, industrial serfdom. Um, and I believe the first child labor laws, it took decades, I think uh, 1802, 1804, something like that was like the first anti-child labor laws uh, in Britain, uh, the industri- in Industrial Revolution Britain. Uh, which was already several decades into into this whole thing, and it wasn't like children stopped working the second there was one law in nineteen yeah. in eighteen o four or something like that. And so we uh, and 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 this tech revolution, this internet digital space revolution, is moving at a at many many times the speed that the industrial revolution did and it's we're playing we're constantly playing catch up and so when people say Elon Musk bought Twitter for 3 billion dollars why didn't he I don't know fix the water in Flint or something like that uh getting a handle a sort of ushering what he called like the digital public square or whatever ushering that kind of thing uh, it, it needs a it needs a good guide to bring it through this transitional period, and it certainly is has not been in good hands thus far. Not just Twitter, but in general, I believe that there's and there, like I said, there's two different um, there's there's uh, more actually more than two different, but there's the idea of like centrality and uh, it, uh, privacy is a big problem. Um, and yeah, we're, it's going to take time. I think we've mentioned this before, the idea that like, we're going to need generations, entire generations that grew up in this reality for them to kind of know how to deal with it. 
Um, stuff like, you know, your social media childhood that then comes back to bite you in adulthood, for example, is something that I don't think that two generations down the line is going to be as big of a problem because parents will know to uh, uh, how to introduce their children into the digital space better. Uh, society will probably develop a slightly better attitude about stuff like that. Uh, it takes time, though. I do agree. And to kind of bring it back to Elon and, and to kind of bring, piggyback off that point, there's been a lot of discussion on social media, on Twitter. Ironically, this is all a very meta conversation about Elon Musk being on the board of Twitter. <laughs> Excuse me. But of what impact this is going to have on Twitter, because like I said, Elon Musk has been somebody who has been very vocally critical of content moderation decisions. And there's been a bit of a freak out from people who just don't like Elon Musk, period, for whatever reason. But basically, there's, there's a whole strain of thought like, oh, gosh, what if all the Twitter employees quit because Elon Musk is on the board? And, and what's going to happen to Twitter? It's like, first off, you need to calm down. Second off, like what? What? I, I mean, what? If Elon Musk being on the board of Twitter somehow affects content moderation in a way of less content moderation, like, okay, I, I'm not seeing the problem here. Like, Yeah. Not... And, and by the way, another thing I don't see any problem with is Twitter becoming less of a, 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 of a, pl a player as big as it is in stuff like politics and media. That's also good. And I say that as someone – who's on Twitter all the time and has got, gotten a lot of benefits, professional and personal benefits from being a big account on Twitter, uh, decreasing Twitter's uh, uh, sort of uh, importance and um, uh, a sort of abnormally large impact on stuff like policy would also be a good thing. And so if Elon Musk kind of turned people off of Twitter a little and kind of maybe spread it out a little over other to other places too, that's also a good thing, I think, because I've said before that Twitter, because, you know, people say Twitter isn't real life, right? And that's only true in the sense that it doesn't represent the breakdown of uh, opinion in society at large. It is real life in the sense that it exists in such proximity to power that it has an, uh, uh, an outsized impact on it. That's why I said Twitter is like a big lobby group, essentially. Because what are lobbyists? Lobbyists don't represent the interests of the public at large, but they're adjacent. They're adjacent to power and they have a lot of money and stuff like that. And so what they say is way louder in the ears of power than what even millions and millions of regular people who are not adjacent to power say. Um, and so, yeah, I think that tamping down on some of that influence is not necessarily a bad thing. By the way, J, uh, JD uh, uh, says in chat here about uh, the Industrial Revolution, yeah, that men were paid 10 shillings a week in England during the Industrial Revolution and women were paid five shillings and children were paid one shilling, right? They had the little fingers. They could stick their hands in the boilers. That's what mm -hmm. the kids did. Uh, you know, it's like uh, – like, uh, <laughs> And, you know, there's like a the scene in Schindler's List, right? You know, useful to the war effort kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so 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 I do think that uh, people who are who say like Twitter is not important are slightly missing the point in which Twitter specifically isn't important. But proper stewardship of the digital public sphere is very important. And there's a whole rant I can go on, especially going off of the responses to Elon being put on the board as far as Substack and all of that. But the, the thing that always cracks me up is when people start to threaten like, oh, I'm going to leave Twitter. I'm going to leave the platform like you ain't going nowhere. No, you're not because you're locked into this platform. You are not trying to start over somewhere else. You're not rebuilding your your followers you're not no you no, you're fucking not and this is why i had to laugh when i saw that elon musk was buying up shares of twitter because there was before this became public there was rumors from elon that he would go start his own platform and i'm like well this is brilliant because why build your own platform if you can just buy this one right here that everybody wants to be on anyway 
Yeah, and it and it is it, it is like there there is um because because Twitter is not is it, like I said it's by far it's not it's nowhere near by the way the biggest one you know no, Instagram no, is way bigger and even smaller even ones that are 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 not exactly in the same format like uh like I think Telegram potentially mm-hmm. is even is even bigger than Twitter the Facebook certainly is um but TikTok it is, is fucking massive. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, like they all kind of serve different functions. Like nothing important is happening on TikTok, right? Exactly. Except the corruption of the the younger generations and the <laughs> the uh, the insinuation of Chinese soft power influence into the West, uh, which is why I still don't have TikTok. And uh, I I, th- I think I said a while ago that the best way to consume TikTok is let some other sucker cross post it to Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and just watch it over there. Or like do – go to YouTube and watch like the best of TikTok. Let somebody else do that work with that app and you just get the – you just get the content off of it. Um, and it, it's, it, it, it will be interesting to see again because he's the kind of person who does, right? He says but he also does. And some other popular billionaire who people will say, oh, this guy's going to come on Twitter and he's going to change everything, all of a sudden plays the game, right? Goes on the board and now all of a sudden he's like a normative board member. And you're like, what happened? You spoke a big game, but the second you got in, all of a sudden you're now one of the club and so you're going to play nice with the club. And he's not like that, right? He's never been like that. And Twitter isn't a step up for him. Twitter is like a... It's like a hobby. It's like he took a crocheting class or something like that, right? It's like small potatoes for him. Um, And so I do think it's going to be very interesting. And like I said, I as a a big fan of science fiction and futurism and I like to read a lot. I I have this strong belief that uh, science fiction uh, authors are an incredibly valuable societal uh, resource because I think it's good that we as a society have people who just sit around for years just thinking about what the future is going to be like and all the little subtle details of what it might cause and what uh, uh, what some kind of uh, – you know, basically think about um, – uh, they'll they'll just throw some variable in. Let's say X happens in the future. What will happen? Let me do a thought experiment but really think about this. And, you know, they're almost like a little bit like philosophers where in the past, you know, a philosopher would, you know, try to like follow certain ideas to their logical conclusion. And so they do this too. And so as someone who follows that a lot, I see extreme importance, like I said, in uh, kind of wrestling this transitional period and this rise of the digital sphere Um very important for proper for our society to kind of properly survive it and you know it's not it's not easy and it's dangerous and i constantly mention this book seven eves by neil stevenson where society is almost destroyed by like social media fake news and the society that comes out of that is uh, inherently averse to mass communication they develop other kinds of technology but they kind of steer away from that because they decide that it's a, a technology that leads to bad. He even inv- he invented a term for this. He called it a mystics, which comes from the Amish, like it's a like from the word Amish, that like the idea that like they perceived certain technologies as harmful to their society. So they decided collectively to not pursue them. And so he says, like, the study of a mystics is like, which fields of technology do we not want to go down? Like, you know, maybe like human cloning, for example. Like, we might as a society decide at some point that cloning humans is too taboo, would cause too many troubles, it would be too problematic, and just decide that we're not going to do it, right? Yeah, and by the way, um, we're... If, if, you know, people can uh, can join the caller queue if you want to, like, say something, ask something. Um, oh, you see, there you go. People are jumping in. And and um, as I said, I read uh, JD's message in, in chat. There is also a live chat that you can drop messages in. And I'm uh, I'm, I'm always peeking down at it. So if if we see comments, uh, we can uh, we can read them out. Uh, Jen, do you have uh, anything else you want to add before we bring uh, Jeffrey up? Only that while you were talking about that, I had like the most amazing, awesome thought that maybe one day Elon Musk will be like summoned to a congressional tech hearing 
and I will literally stop everything in my life to watch that. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, it would be kind of like uh, if you want if you want some uh, if you want some good content if you want some good congressional content, go watch the old PMRC congressional hearings with Tipper mm-hmm. Gore and uh, people like D. Snyder. Uh, I think I think D. Snyder's congressional testimony is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen because uh, he he walks in there with his like poofy hair mm-hmm. and his jean jacket, and they thought they were gonna like get some idiot right and in fact they got a an super intelligent well-spoken person who made them look like idiots um seriously my favorite congressional moment ever yeah and uh and and i think and and you know elon musk like you said is a shit poster but he's certainly not stupid and you know like people in his position that you don't get there just by being like a dick right um And so it's again, it's going to be interesting. And like you said, it's it sounds kind of dumb and kind of uh, 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 like like partisan or whatever to say, like, yeah, one of ours or whatever. But it is nice to see someone who isn't cool with the the way things are going actually, you know, dropping serious amounts of money. I know it's one percent of his net worth or whatever, but three billion dollars is three billion dollars is three yeah. billion dollars. There is no that's why I hate when people say like, you know, when somebody gives like a billion dollars to charity and they go, it's one percent of his net worth. And so if I gave one percent of my net worth, it would be five bucks. And I was like, yes, but the absolute figures actually mean something. And yes, mm-hmm. billions of dollars are billions of dollars, and that's just that, right? Even if you have many more where those came from uh, so yeah we can uh, let's bring let's bring jeffrey up how do we do this i think i do this it like this right uh oh, say you have there to we do go it i can't see it on mine uh jeffrey good evening uh oh boy. Oh, there you go hey can, can you hear me yes hey how are you doing all right how's it going it's going pretty good. How are you doing? All right. Okay. There, there, there's a bit of a uh, delay on my end from your end. I just realized that. Oh, okay. No worries. Let me see if I can fix that. It might be on my okay, end. In the meantime, just... oh. Okay. In the meantime, I can read, uh, I can read, uh, Clint Olson's message. I'm curious your thoughts on banning high-profile people like Trump from social media platforms because they are too dangerous. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that um, I think that it's uh, it's a very it's a very murky water. It's dangerous territory. I, I was I'm appalled at what like official Russian government accounts verified are still like permitted to do just willy nilly with no kind of oversight. It just highlights what you do and don't ban. Right. Um, and that's why I think that jumping into that field of like parsing content and, and, and who decides, right. That's ultimately, I think that when people say like, well, it's a private company to do what it want or whatever. I, to me, it's kind of shocking that, uh, especially the segment of society that hates tech bros are all too willing to let tech bros decide what goes and what doesn't go. Right. It's like, I thought you hated those guys and didn't trust their judgment and think they're all stealing our information and, you know, are, and, you know, want to do evil shit. But like, if they ban someone and that you don't like, you're like, yeah, right on guys. And I've often felt that way about, especially like libertarian arguments about, okay, yes, it's a private company you can have on or have off wherever you want. Yes, obviously, duh. But who is making these decisions and based on what criteria? And I don't think that it's inappropriate to question that while still agreeing that, sure, they have the right to do that. But what, like, where, where is the line here? Like, who, like, it's easy to say with more outlier people like Trump, especially in the wake of 1-6. Okay, you can say that. But you, you can establish a start point, but if you're not establishing an end point, and stuff starts moving from the fringes more towards the center of people expressing opinions that would probably be agreed with by the majority of people. And I'm thinking of a few certain topics that we are not going to touch because that is just like, don't even, just unless you want to get canceled or just 
have your life destroyed, just don't even fucking discuss them. But again, there's that. So I don't think it's inappropriate to ask the questions of who makes these decisions and based on what criteria, while also still agreeing that platforms do have the right to make those decisions. Yes, like let's talk about whether or not nuclear weapons in general are good, not whether or not this or that nuking was justified at the time. Yes. Uh, let's try Jeffrey again. Hello. Hey. 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 Um, so, yeah, my question was, it sort of involves the whole, well, I guess it entirely involves the whole Twitter situation, which is, you know, Twitter is really a very limited atmosphere, as you've said. And so I was wondering about, you know, the whole recent, you know, groomer pushback from the right, right wing and how it's, you know, it's crap. I agree that it's crap, and but isn't it being just as overplayed as you know the various crap that's coming from the left nowadays? Like people are saying that you know uh, you know the normies are gonna turn away from the whole uh, you know Florida bill and whatnot as a result of this, but how? Because the the reach of the right wing you know, groomer crap is no more widespread than the reach of the left wing, you know, don't say uh, gay crap. Yeah, sure. No, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, and, and, and like I said, I think that the problem is that because Twitter, you know, is, uh, is heavily skewed towards, for example, like media types, the narratives that kind of percolate in this swamp uh, have uh, major normie outlets through which they kind of go out into the world at large. And so, you know, uh, this now you're going to see uh, you're already seeing when you're going to see more and more of this, like editorials in The New York Times. You're going to see CNN talk about it a lot. And, yeah, those things don't individually maybe aren't, you know, doing exceedingly well in terms of ratings or whatnot. But it adds up. To, um, and And I do think that. Um, because we are undeniably seeing how, uh, the, this, the sort of the extreme rhetoric about stuff like race, um, is, uh, is having a real chilling effect on, uh, democratic support from, for example, uh, from like the Hispanic community in, that's a, a, a specifically, uh, notable example these days where, um, Hispanic people are are sort of leaving the the Democratic Party in very noticeable numbers, and and uh, you know like there was a whole Latinx or Latinx or whatever you want to call it uh, <laughs> uh, news cycles over how you know it's it's something that uh, virtually none of that community feels an affinity to, and yet is that is the uh, it's so visible and it's constantly hammered. Uh, at at sort of normies who are off put by it, and yeah, I think that um, the Republicans run a risk of kind of uh, wasting, squandering this opportunity by seeming like a a group of equally off putting uh, uh, sort of you know like like people that you you that you feel like really. So I left the this group of screeching exaggerators only to fall in with the opposite group of screeching exaggerators. Like, what did I, what am I even doing? Where I kind of draw the line here and the, the groomer thing is actually a good sort of representation of this. Although I, I don't know how far we want to get into that particular discussion, but Probably not super far, but, <laughs> but that, whole this, this calling people groomers thing is not based off of like a cultural thing where you have a small group of people trying to get everybody to call Latin people Latinx. It's in response to a law that was actually passed in Florida. And anybody who is criticizing said law, even if they have valid criticisms, which I do, is being called a groomer. That's a pretty fucking vile thing to say to somebody. I mean, that's that's almost beyond Nazi. I mean, you're accusing somebody of being a pedophile. But and, it's being based off of something that is happening in law and not in culture. Yeah, and I, I mean, I also think I, I've, I, was, I said this today to a couple of people. I think that you're also running a risk of allowing actual groomers to hide in a crowd 
by saying this about, you know, if you if you now start saying that everybody who voted to confirm Ketanji Brown Jackson is a groomer and everybody who supported her nomination, everybody who thinks that she should be on the Supreme Court is a groomer, then, the you know, the 50 or 500 actual groomers are all of a sudden lost in a sea of people you just called groomers, right? That's really the, and, and, you know, the same thing happens with like, you know, racists and white supremacists and stuff. You know, if you call everybody a white supremacist, how, where, how are you going to spot the actual really bad ones? It's a lot easier for them to just kind of like melt into this like nameless sea of people you just call this name. Um, and so, yeah, you're actually running the risk of you want to you want to save those top shelf allegations for the, for, you know, for the right time. There's this is going to be such a weird example. But um, someone I know once said about the, the slam dunk contest in the NBA, he said, like, you the people who always throw up a 10 for the first one it's like you can't do that because then you know like what if somebody does something that's even better right yeah you already wasted your 10 and so in theory the only person who could ever get a 10 is the very last person right and so <laughs> which is like a kind of a broken system but yeah like that's your you're going top shelf and so then all of a sudden you have somebody, you know, you're, you, you uncover like an actual pedophile ring and you're like, great, you're just calling them the same name you called Mitt Romney, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's a really broken situation. Um, anyway, I think we're going to go to uh, JD because we're, we're slowly kind of uh, marching towards uh, the end of the show. Thanks a lot, Jeffrey. Thanks. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, let's see. How do, I, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. Why did we leave you uh, in charge of this? Yes, I know. I know. I'm, I'm doing it as I learn. Hey, J.D., how's it going? Hey, what up, guys? You doing right. good? Yeah, yeah, man. So, yeah, something that came up in the Twitter discourse about Elon last night. Uh, Neon, I think you... Okay, wait. Do we call you Neon or Gnome? That's a, <laughs> that's a funny uh, funny uh, <laughs> thing because I... Uh, I mean, it's fine. Like, my, I have I have now real-world friends who just call me Neon. I think I joked about this and I said something like, when I watched The Matrix 20 years ago, I remember thinking that it was very cringe that they called each other by their usernames like out in real life, Trinity, Neo. And now I go to a party and people call me Neon there. And so <laughs> we've come a long way. Okay, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> Neon, you probably saw this because you see, well, you and Jen see everything that goes on on Twitter, <laughs> but um, did you see that Defiant L's tweet about Robert Reich last night? I did not. I'll pop that up as no. you speak. So, Defiant, okay, so Robert Reich used to be uh, the labor secretary, mm -hmm. secretary of labor in the Clinton administration. He's just this midgety 411 guy. Neon, you have made fun of him quite a lot on Twitter. Yes, actually. I one one time I made fun of his height. I typically do not uh go there, but he there was uh he whatever. He he went there and so I went there, you know. <laughs> no, yeah, so apart from the height, you did start attacking like his policy position and stuff, which was great. But Defiant Els um had a really good tweet and he came up with a he pulled up Reich's tweet from after the Trump ban back in January 2021, and it was Reich saying, anyone who is saying Twitter's ban violates the First Amendment doesn't know that Twitter is a private company. And then um, he tweeted just a couple days ago um, about Elon, what could possibly go wrong with an oligarch determining what constitutes free speech? Yes, uh, that's uh, of course, and, and and not to mention that uh, we and we already spoke about this too about yeah, the fact that the word oligarch is used here in in like a, an extreme extreme bad faith way, where yes, oligarchy means something, but when people talk about oligarchs, there's a very specific definition, and somebody who made his own fortune. Uh, you know, in the private sector, even though, again, he did it on the backs of huge subsidies and stuff, is absolutely not an oligarch. Not to mention that Elon Musk yeah, is probably the, you know, the, the super billionaire or whatever who has the least amount of influence on government. Zuckerberg has more. Bezos has more. Bill Gates has more. He, he's way more uh, – uh, he's controversial enough. So that he doesn't really have the same influence that someone like a Bill Gates who's kind of more anodyne. And like I said, he's more of a standard multi-billionaire where he wants to like cure malaria, which again is phenomenal. And I hope, you know, and he again would be doing 
uh, human civilization a big service if he manages to cure malaria, certainly. Also, though, it seems like Elon was never particularly interested in curating any kind of soft or hard government power. He's really more of a private industry kind of guy, not really all that particularly interested in having the ear of anybody in the government, basically because that means that now you're beholden to them. And yeah, I mean, in a way, in a way, going, going to Mars is perhaps the biggest act of like anarcho-libertarianism that you can commit. (laughs) Like it's like the most, the most away from any kind of terrestrial authority that you can get. And I think he said something funny. I said, I think he said that he wants to die on Mars, hopefully not on impact. (laughs) that was a very funny thing for him to say and by the way if he goes to mars that's another huge putting your money where imagine the richest person on earth right who can live like a literal king Uh, forget like a literal king he can make literal kings look quaint by comparison and he's going to go live on mars do you understand how hard life is going to be there for the first hundred years of mars colonization think frontier living you know think uh think the oregon trail times a billion because you know not only do you die of typhoid but there's like no air right he's gonna die of dysentery on mars yes or something or of, of you know of explosive decompression or something like that he's gonna die like arnold schwarzenegger in uh in total recall Blah, eyes popping out of his skull and shit but um uh, but uh, yeah, like that, that to me is a very interesting prospect. And, you know, we were talking about this before with like uh, Bezos going on, uh, on, uh, Bezos and also, uh, uh, um, uh, Richard Branson taking the inaugural space flights of their things where people thought, oh, these are just rich billionaires playing with their toys. And I was like, no, that's actually the reverse. They're actually like, they're actually doing the proof of concept. They're like, this is crazy. I built a prototype or whatever, and I'm going to be the first person to fly on it. I would have expected them to sit back until it was like a billion percent safe and then do it. Like send some other guinea pig idiot to go crash, (laughs) right? But yeah, like I think that and, – and that is a – that's a big – I mean that's that's not a, a, a negligible thing for him to be like, yeah, I actually want to <laughs> – thank you, Glenn. Glenn says people called Robert Reich the Turd Reich. <laughs> that's a very – that's a very <laughs> – I like that a lot. That's very clever. Um uh, yeah, you know, like I said, and so I'm a again as as a, as a tech futurist nerd, um, I'm I'm gonna take what we get. You know, he's certainly not uh, perfect, and and like I said, he has a lot of in his past and in his present ventures that feel uh, I wouldn't say dishonest necessarily, but maybe uh, p- promising the world, kind of knowing that you you can't actually deliver that. I still think Hyperloop is a thing that's just not. Vi- not viable, not feasible. Maybe if you build it on like a, like a, a an atmosphereless asteroid, which again might that that's going to be hilarious. By the way, if in like 150 years and you know we're out in space and whatever, and all these like asteroids that don't have any atmosphere have hyperloops because you can run them in vacuum there, no problem. And then everybody's going to be like, "See, Elon was right all along." Back in the 21st <laughs> century, he was saying this. Um. We're going to have statues of Elon on Mars. Oh, my God. That would be so funny. Uh, speaking of Mars, by the way, if, you, if anybody here is actually interested in Mars, you know, because we're talking about Elon, Mar- uh, Elon Mars, Elon Musk, <laughs> um, the Mars Trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson, a very uh, sort of seminal, famous trilogy of books about the human colonization of Mars. It's very dense. It's not exactly a brisk, fun time. Uh, it has a lot of like geology and science and, and geopolitics. It's about there's a whole half of one of those books is about how they write the Martian constitution. They have their constitutional convention and how exactly <laughs> they come up with all the laws. It's very interesting, it, but dense. And I, um, I, uh, um, I thought about when I read it, I thought about um, – uh, John Paul II's review of the Passion of the Christ. When John Paul II uh, went to see the Passion of the Christ, his review was, 
it is as it was. That's what he said about it, right? <laughs> Meaning like it was totally authentic, right? And so when I read the Mars trilogy, I said, it is as it will be. It feels authentic enough where you're like, this is kind of how it's probably going to happen. Except for one minor thing where there's a stowaway on the first mission to Mars, which is like impossible, ah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, thanks, JD. You know, always, well, uh, always fun to seeing you here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Neon, I've got a, I've got a book recommendation for you. Okay. If you keep throwing out stuff. Um, so, on the future colonization of Mars, kind of along the Mars trilogy, mm -hmm. um, there's a book series called Red Rising by Pierce mm -hmm. Brown. Yes. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of it. So I read, I think, a couple of chapters of the first book, and I was like, eh. and I, then I think I said on Twitter, like, I didn't really connect to it, and people were like, no, idiot, keep going. <laughs> and I'm guessing you didn't keep going? Not, not yet, but you know what? Now that you said that, that's going to be – I'm currently listening to the second cycle of uh, Mistborn, but that's going to be the thing that I go to after that. Yeah, so Red Rising, you just have to get to the point where the main character gets carved. After that, it picks up and it gets a lot better. And it's essentially the book form of the Amazon Prime series, The Expanse. Like, fantastic. Okay, great. Yeah, because I, I, I really enjoy that. I actually like, by the way, I, was, I started reading some of The Expanse novels. And I was shocked to discover, because when I watched The Expanse, I didn't watch all of it. I watched, I think, four seasons of it. Um, I was enamored with the, that small sci-fi detail in it, and I was shocked to discover that a lot of it isn't from the books. It is actually in the show and not in the books. For example, Mars on Martian ships, uh, when they go to alert status, the lights turn blue. And when they're normal status, they're red, which is the opposite of Earth stun because they're – and Mars, red is normal. Yeah. And blue is emergency. I thought that was really smart and I was expecting to read that in the book and it's nowhere in the books. So that means – but I think the – I think uh, I think uh, Corey, who is – that's actually a pen name for two people, right? James S.A. Corey or whatever the, the quote-unquote author of the Expanse books is actually two people who use uh, one pen name. Um, yeah, those are all good. Um, so yeah, yeah a, a few recommendations to end the show, I guess. Also, uh, I think Jen is going to see everything everywhere all at once this weekend. I saw it last weekend. I cannot recommend it enough. It's joyous, amazing. It's, uh, it's stole multiverse of madnesses, uh, multiverse thunder. It's going to be hard to, to top that in the uh, multiverse movies, uh, realm. Yeah, I'm going to go see it on Saturday afternoon. So because nobody on Twitter will shut up about this damn movie. So yeah, yeah. Twitter, I, I, you know what? I, I'll t again the, the 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 show that popped into my head that I did not think was going to pop into my head during that movie was Rick and Morty. On more than one occasion, it felt like live action Rick and Morty, which yeah. is uh, very very cool. Anyway. A fantastic movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, Jen, uh, do you have any uh, kind of closing remarks? Nothing I can think of. I, I think we, we, we're ending on a good spot. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, was, there, uh, was there something uh, we wanted to say about Will Smith? <laughs> we, no, we need to I, do I, a... I think, we need to, I think gonna, story's over. <laughs> I think it's going to be funny. We need to, like, we need on uh, an ambitious crossover attempt, we need to literally do five minutes on will smith every episode you know like into the future just like do a and <laughs> it's the will smith minute you know what's going on in his story or whatever it's like uh, following the stock exchange or something like that actually i think the next story is going to be about ezra miller and how ezra oh, miller is God. like <laughs> it's just like nuking his own career um but yeah so um Thank you for joining us, I guess. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, Ambitious Crossover Attempt, as always, is uh, available uh, on all your podcast catchers. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be having another one of those uh, this coming Monday, I guess. Uh, Jen, you want to plug your socials and whatnot? Okay, so you can find me at that Jen Monroe. You can find me on Substack at jenmonroe.substack.com. 
Obviously, you can find us on Twitter at AMBXOver and in all your podcast catchers for Ambitious Crossover Attempt. And obviously here on Colin for All Crossed Out. Yes, thank you. And uh, yeah, obviously Neon Taster on Twitter, uh, YouTube.com slash Neon Taster and Twitch.tv slash Neon Taster. Uh, which I guess I'm going to have some more Elden Ring for you pretty soon. Uh, I had to take a little break for life things and whatnot. Uh, And yeah, thank you so much. This is always so much fun to hang out. I see a lot of the same faces in the crowd every week, and uh, and that's great. And yeah, always happy for participation and uh, hearing your comments and questions and stuff. Uh, Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you, Noam. And thank you, everybody, for showing up and and commenting. Good night. Mm -hmm. See you next week. Bye. Bye.